Well, what a joy it is to be with you in worship and fellowship. I um, I as well missed you last Lord's Day, and so excited to be back with you. Thankful for Brother Bruce and filling the pulpit, as well as Randy and and others. There are so many that kind of get behind the scenes that you don't see who help pull all of this together, and Brian and I both are thankful for you, and uh, thankful for them. Take your Bible, I pray you have brought with you this morning, and turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, we're going to be focused on verses 3 through 8 today. We're going to read together verses 1 through 8. Romans chapter 12. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to the faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. May God add His blessing to the reading of His Word this morning. So good to be with you today. Well, beloved, as a church, based on the Word of God, we believe that as Christians, we are a people. In fact, you've heard us say many times that we are a faith family who are actively seeking to become like Christ. We, we do this, we do so in part on our own profession, that we have been changed. That we have been saved. That we have been, as John refers to it in John chapter 3, we have been born again. In fact, you've heard me give a definition of a Christian. And I'll recall that to your memory today. Someone who has been supernaturally changed by the Holy Spirit that results in an immediate desire to obey and become like Christ. I'll say it one more time. That a Christian is someone who has been supernaturally changed by the Holy Spirit 
that results in an immediate desire to obey and become like Christ. We at First Baptist, we believe this so strongly as a church, as a faith family, that we have begun speaking of this in terms of our core values as a church, what we are to, to be and to do. And there are, uh, this little sheet is out on the table as you go out today. If you do not have a copy of it, please grab one. There's one in the hallway right as you go out here today. Take this home and, and study it. We believe in biblical fidelity, that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. We believe in God-honoring worship, that not only that we worship, but how we worship matters. We believe in expositional preaching, that it is necessary and beneficial. We believe in to be family-focused, that we are to carry the responsibility of evangelism and discipleship within the home. That we are to be determined disciples. In other words, we are to participate in what we say determined discipleship. That we are to be growing. That Christ is Lord of our lives. That every member should be growing into a mature relationship with Christ. We are to be a gospel witness. That all of us have a responsibility to witness. And that we are to seek to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to our Jerusalem here in Jonesboro and Jackson Parish and, of course, beyond. And then lastly, we believe in church investment. That church membership is not only vital, but it is biblical. It is indeed vital to our church health and that as a body of believers, we are committed to God and to one another. And we will invest our time, energy, and resources toward the advancement of the kingdom of God. If you're not familiar with that as a member, I pray that you would grab that and meditate on that this week. And if you're visiting with us today, pick up that copy today and look and see what we indeed value based upon the Word of God. As members, we are striving together. We're pursuing these things as we grow together. Why? Because we have been changed. Because we have been born again. Now, two of these values in particular I want to draw your attention to today. And that is determined discipleship and church investment. Listen one more time. Discipleship is a vital part of the church. Because He is Lord of our lives, we believe all members should be growing into a mature relationship with Jesus. Church investment. Church membership is biblical and vital to church health. As a body of believers, we are committed to God and one another, and we will invest our time, energy, and resources toward the advancement of the kingdom of God. So are we to, so we are to be growing and investing. Growing and investing. But how? How do we do that? It's very easy to say. Much more difficult to articulate. How do we do that? When writing to the churches at Rome, Paul appeals and instructs believers that we must be continually transformed by the renewing of our minds. Sound familiar? But then he goes on to provide several examples of how this occurs. 
Now, this is not uncommon to Paul. We see this same type thing in Ephesians as he calls believers to submit to one another. And then he gives examples of that in our marriage, in our child raising, in your employment, in the church. He speaks of it in Corinthians. He, he gives the, the statement, he gives the command, and gives examples of how this is to be carried out. In verses 3 through 8 specifically, though, Paul instructs believers that by God's grace, they are to think rightly of themselves and serve the church using the gifts God has so graciously given them. Now, before we go further here, it would serve us well to just briefly call to light the key points about the book of Romans. There's two key points. Often Romans is looked at as having two major divisions. Chapters 1 through 11, and chapters 12 through 16. And generally, the way this is referred to is that chapters 1 through 11 are doctrinal in their teaching, and chapters 12 through 16 are application. And while that is correct, what often ends up being communicated incorrectly is that the first half is a doctrinal treatise by Paul. That he's just telling us how God saves sinners. It's a theological paper that he has written to the churches. And that the second half is merely application. It's, it's stuff for our consideration. And, and, it can, and unfortunately, sometimes it's even presented as almost optional for the believer. It's something that we can look at and we can consider in light of our Christianity, but if we obey, if we don't obey, meh. There's two points I want to stress. Number one is that Romans is a letter. It's a letter to the churches at Rome. It's a letter to the believers. Paul begins verse 3 by saying, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you. And that everyone are the believers, brothers and sisters Look back at Romans 12, verse 1. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters. He's talking to the church. He's talking to believers. So it's a letter, which means it has a flow of thought from beginning to end. It's not divisional. Secondly, application is never merely for our consideration. Hear me today on that, beloved. Application of biblical commands is never merely for our consideration. In other words, it's not optional. Rather, we are given imperatives to obey along with indicatives that serve to identify if our heart truly has been changed. Paul says in chapters 1 through 11, if this is what you are saying God has done in you, he begins with verse 12, then this is who you're going to become. Notice I didn't say may become, might become, but you will become. Why? Because Christ himself lives in you and is changing you. This reminds us that as Christians, if Christ has saved us, He is always changing us. 
The Bible provides no description of a professing Christian whose spiritual life consists of simply showing up to church, greeting a few people, singing a song, praying a prayer, listening to a sermon, and then going home and that's it. The Bible has no description of a Christian being like that. We need to take that to heart. Paul appeals to us today to offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God. Paul commands us to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That this is a supernatural transformation. This is a metamorphosis. And then he begins with verse 3 with an example of how transformed people live. And this brings us to our text. In this example today, Paul gives us three commands. Three commands. And they're simple. The first thing that Paul says is to humble yourself. Humble yourself as a believer. Humble yourself as someone who has been supernaturally changed by the Spirit of God. Humble yourself. Look at what he says. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Now first, beloved, please do not simply read the use of spiritual gifts into this verse. We're going to get there. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But don't just read the humbling in regard to spiritual gifts. This verse actually connects to verse 2. And it's in contrast with being conformed to the world. Look at what he says in verse 2. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And then he goes on to say the first example of not being conformed to this world is... Humble yourself. Humble yourself. In other words, the, the, the exact the, the Greek translation there is how you view yourself. How do you view yourself? Paul says, do not think beyond yourself. Do not think more of yourself than you actually are. In other words, do not overestimate yourself. You need to have a lowliness of mind. Paul says in Ephesians 4, he says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. How? With all humility and gentleness. This is one of the first characteristics of a true believer. He goes on to say in Colossians, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness. Here it comes again. Humility, gentleness, and patience. And then probably one of the most famous verses, James chapter 4, verse 10. He says, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and He will exalt you. Beloved, as Christians, we are to first and foremost be a humble people. I'll never forget playing football in high school. I was a sophomore, and we actually achieved winning the first playoff game 
that Winfield had won in 10 years. We were excited. And like good football players, having the ego the size of this room, we knew we were going to go to the Superdome. So we go to play the next game, and it was going to be a shoe-in. We had won the first playoff game that any team in Winfield had won in 10 years. It was destined to be. And we're out on that playing field, warming up that game day evening. And we were playing Faraday High School. And we were warming up, and we were cocky, and we were spouting off at the mouth until Faraday comes walking out. Now, we had a couple of big boys on our team. And by big boys, I mean over six feet and over 200 pounds. After we counted the 14th guy who was well over six feet and well over 200 pounds walking out onto the field, we knew we were in trouble. We got our hat handed to us, needless to say. But we were not humble to begin with. We see this also in the Scriptures in a more serious way, in a more serious note. In the Scriptures in Numbers chapter 14, the ten spies go out and spy for Israel and only two come back with a good report. The rest come back for a bad report about the land that God Himself has said to overtake. And so the people cry out, we will not take this land. We can't take this land. And God judged them. Soon after that judgment, several among the group, who we would classify as big boys in the faith, said, you know what, we don't need you. We're going to take this land regardless. We can do it. We're strong enough. We're proud enough. Moses tried to warn them, you need to understand, guys, God has said not to take the land. The Lord is not going before you. And sure enough, they come running back with their hat in their hand. Christians are to be humble, beloved. Are you humble? Are you a humble individual? Does it always have to be your way? Are you a control freak? Or even beyond that, do you consider yourself in the church one of great recognition? One of a great mind? Do you consider yourself in the church, in the pew that you're sitting in right now, do you consider that to be your pew? Do you consider this to be your church? Beloved, let us remember it is not Brother Brian's church, nor my church, nor your church. It is Christ's church. Always and forever. Amen. But even beyond that, are you humble? Do you even need the church as a Christian? Would you be just fine if you never darkened the doors of this church again? Do you have a need for the fellowship of brothers and sisters? A desire for that? Because in order to do that, we must submit to one another and that requires humility. Are you humble? 
Paul goes on to say that we are to think with sober judgment. In other words, he says, think rightly of yourself. Now, if you want to think rightly of yourself, just ask your spouse how you should think about yourself. Because they think rightly of you. But this is why we need one another in the body of Christ. We need accountability with one another so that others can look at us and know and help us to think rightly. But he goes on to give a description. He describes it in verse 4. He says that in, as in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. He says that we are to function as a body and that with that body there are many members. And he says God has designed you with a certain function. That you as an individual in the church are to function a certain way. He fleshes this out more in 1 Corinthians 12. In talking about one body having different members and eyes and ears and noses and feet and toes. And what he gets at is by saying a leg cannot function as a finger. Nor can a toe. It might for a while, but, but then... What it is not functioning is as that body part that you've been called to function. So while you may be a leg, but you're functioning as a toe, you're not functioning as a leg and you're causing a disruption in the unity of the body and in the function. This causes disruption to the body of Christ. You say, wait a minute, Trey, I want to be a toe. That guy's a toe. I want to be a toe. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. In God's sovereign hand of providence, He has called us to each function individually and in such a way that we are needed of one another. We'll get to that in just a moment. But humble yourself and think rightly. God is a good God. And were it not for His grace, understand that you nor I wouldn't even be here. Were it not for His saving grace, we would not be in this place today worshiping Him and fellowshipping with one another. Shouldn't we be able to trust Him in living in the calling and function that He has called us to in the church? So He says to live humbly. Number two. Number two, He says to take initiative. Take initiative. Initiative. Verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Now we'll walk through those gifts there that he lists in just a moment. It's not an exhaustive list. You need to know that, but it is a list nonetheless. And there are some descriptions that need to be and explanations that need to be given. But in this, when we, when we go to talk about as he shifts the discussion a little bit to not just us functioning in the church, but that each church member, each believer has a spiritual gift. And he says we are to exercise that spiritual gift or gifts. Now let me take just a moment and take out my theological extension cord. And I almost brought one up here, but I'm not a big believer in props, so I just thought it would serve to distract. But just so you know, who has ever tried to undo a big orange extension cord that has knots in it? 
One of the most frustrating things in the world, isn't it? Unless, unless you humble yourself, (laughs) stop, and what you begin to realize is that if I just go to jerking on both ends, I'm never going to get that thing undone. But if I take some time and I focus on one end at a time, unraveling that end for a while... And then I move over here to this end and I take some time and I unravel this end for a while and I'm spending just time on this end. I'm not pulling from this end. Eventually, it all comes unwound and unknotted. Well, that's what we need to learn to do in theology. Because too often what we do is we pick our sides immediately and we start pulling from both sides and there's this huge knot in the middle and we can never get it undone. And oftentimes what we'll do is we'll say, fine, I'm going to take my toys and I'm going to run to this end. Fine, I'll take my toys and I'm going to run to this end. Well, what ends up happening? The knot is still there. And yet the Word of God is to be clear for us in our understanding. So what I want to do is to separate for just a moment, follow with me, talents on this side, spiritual gifts on this side. So I'm going to drop this side for just a moment and leave talents alone. Here's what we need to know. Talents are from God. Talents are part of our nature. Talents are are given to us at birth. We use them and like all things, we are to use them for the glory of God. So please don't walk out of here today saying that I am disregarding talents as not being given to us by God. No, they are. But I want to set that end of the cord down for just a moment. And I want to come over here and focus on the knot that is in the spiritual gift side of this theological cord. Now, we need to know what a spiritual gift is. Because a talent is not a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is a grace gift of God. It is given to you by God after conversion to which you are then enabled by God to use it for the edification of the church. Did did you catch that? That one common denominator and everything. It is from God, it is given to you by God, and then you are empowered to use it by God after conversion. And its purpose is to edify or to build up the church. In other words, it... It really has nothing to do with you. All Christians, Paul tells us, have one. We all have at least one. Now he goes through this list here. And I want to look at some of the things that he says in this list. The first thing he mentions is prophecy. And prophecy within the scriptures is described in two different ways. One is a foretelling which is a telling of the future or new revelation. We believe that this gift has ceased because the canon of the Scriptures has been closed and no new revelation is being given. Everything we need to know comes from the Scriptures and they are sufficient and inerrant and invaluable in their authority. However, there's a second side to prophecy and that is one of foretelling. 
This is a a preaching of the word, a a heralding that that goes forth and doesn't just to serve to tell, but serves to edify, serves to build up, to exhort, to encourage, and to bring comfort. This is one of the things that pastors are to do in preaching and teaching, which we'll see is a little bit different in just a moment. But in preaching the word, we are heralding the word of Christ to go forth and to serve, to comfort and edify and exhort and also draw others to repentance. But he says you're to prophecy, to use this gift in proportion to the faith. Now you may have the word our faith there. In the actual Greek, the article the is there. It's the faith. It's a reference to the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. That when we are to preach, when we are to herald the word of God forth, we are to herald what is in the word of God and not of our own thinking. Not of our own accord. So that is the gift of prophecy. The next gift, he says, is the gift of service. This is task-oriented. This reaches out and sees needs and and serves, literally serves, to fulfill those needs within the body and within the church. We see the gift of teaching that he means. Now, teaching is a little bit different from prophecy. Teaching serves to inform or interpret, but to do so with clarity, which goes back to what Paul instructed Timothy, to rightly divide the word of truth. This is one place where we're going to get the exposition of the Scriptures, to pull out of the Scriptures what is there. He goes on to say the gift of exhortation or the gift of exhorting is to come along one side and encourage one another. To encourage someone. to Not just from a distance though, but you're, you're stepping up alongside them in a discipling relationship and you're giving them encouragement. And that may be just in a, a positive, uplifting way, but it may also be in a correcting way. Pushing them forward towards their growth in Christ. He talks about the gift of giving. This is a desire and an urge to assist those who are in need. Monetarily. Or the giving of your things, material possessions, things of that nature. But this is an overflowing desire to do that. Leading. This is somebody who who seeks to take the helm to accomplish the task that is at hand. And then finally, the gift of mercy. Someone who who looks upon someone else who is hurting. Who looks upon a need and they they, they meet that with compassion. They want to come alongside them. But not just to come alongside and encourage, but to come alongside and to weep with them. And to walk through their darkest moments. And to in no way bring judgment or condemnation upon. I pray that as we walked through these gifts just now, that some of these rang a bell in your mind. Or maybe there are those in our congregation that you immediately thought of when I mentioned that gift. That's more than likely an indicator that they have that spiritual gift. Now, beloved, let me call to your attention today that just as there are no lesser members... Remember, everyone has a function. There are no lesser gifts. 
Just as there are no lesser members, there are no lesser gifts. However, oftentimes what ends up happening is the most necessary gifts are the least noticed. And so we kind of, in our pride, want to pursue the most visual gifts. And so the lesser noticed gifts that are just as important go unmet. And the body suffers. Think of it just for a moment in terms of the body. Nobody sees your kidneys. Nobody sees your lungs. And yet, you would be in dire need of the hospital, if not facing death, if neither were there or if either began to not function correctly. One of the areas we've already mentioned is our prayer warrior ministry. Some of you have the gift of intercession in prayer. Now that doesn't mean that everybody who's part of the prayer ministry has the gift of intercession. No, but there are some who do. And that's one of the unseen gifts that is vital to the health of this church. Because what you need to know, faith family, is that during the week, there are people within this church who are on their knees before God or you. What a comfort. What a a building up of the body. That encourages me just to say it out loud. Not to mention to see you day in and day out and week in and week out go into that room. There are no lesser gifts. And I would also argue that even if two people do have the same gifts, they will not function in those the same way. God has made us unique, beloved. And yet, we must continue to remain humble. We must continue to remain humble. So think with sober judgment. And think rightly of yourself. Also, recognize that there are areas of giftedness that are also commanded to be practiced by all believers. Did you know that? There are those with the gift of evangelism. But all of us are commanded to evangelize. There are those with the gift of hospitality. But all of us are commanded to be hospitable. We need to become aware of that. And so, wait a minute, Brother Trey. I know I'm supposed to evangelize, but I'm not real good at it. I'm intimidated by it. But I know I'm supposed to do it. So let me encourage you in this. Find someone with that gift. And get them to help you fulfill your Christian duty. Find someone who you know, who you've seen has the gift of hospitality and go up to them and say, I want to show hospitality to this family. Will you you come to my house too and just help me to do this? The same with evangelism. The same with service. Many of these things we as Christians are called to do and we don't get an out just because we don't have that spiritual gift. So, 
How do I discover my gifts? It's the question I know you're sitting there all asking. How do I discover my spiritual gifts? The first thing I want you to see, the first thing above all else when we're talking about spiritual gifts, the first thing you need to be is a faithful church member. Before you even move to looking at and trying to discern your spiritual gifts, you need to be a faithful church member. You need to be participating faithfully in the purposes of the church, in its worship, in its discipleship, in its evangelism, and in its ministry. You need to be plugged in to this faith family. If you're visiting with us today, if you've been visiting with us, I want to encourage you, or if you, even if you're a new member, I want to encourage you, plug yourself in. Just become a part of us, faithfully. If you're visiting with us, or if you're a new member, one of the first things that you need to do is you need to make sure you're plugged into a Sunday school class. It's a part of being a faithful church member. Now I'm going to throw all the members under the bus because we are growing as a, as in our church and in our revitalization. Church members, we need to be showing hospitality to our new members and to our guests. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> church members on the whole, we need to be showing hospitality. It's on our church membership process. The first thing that, that happens is the church, the, the visitor makes contact with us. The second thing out the bat is that we as a church are going to seek to show them hospitality. I just raised the expectation because now we've got guests and we've got new members who are going, oh, somebody's going to ask me to lunch. <laughs> yeah, that's what we need to do. And then guests and members, or guests and new members, you need to plug into a Sunday school class and unite with one. And become a faithful church member. See, this is, this is essential. This is essential because the sole purpose of a spiritual gift is to edify the body. It is to build up the body. How can you utilize your gift if A, you do not know the body, or B, are never here? Do we see that? The spiritual gifts are not for you as an individual. The spiritual gift is to be used upon the body. So that's the first thing. Just become a faithful church member. Number two, examine yourself to find what area of ministry brings you true joy and pleasure. Catch this last phrase though. In spite of circumstances. If you think your spiritual gift is serving, then you get joy out of serving, no matter if it's a great fellowship or it's a horrible fellowship. If everybody did their job and brought what they were supposed to do, brought what they were supposed to bring, you get joy out of that and just serving. Or if nobody brought what they were supposed to bring and you don't know how we're going to feed these people and you're praying for the five loaves and two fish blessing. 
But at the end of the day, you're exhausted and you're worn out, but you know what it gave you? It brought you joy. It brought you pleasure in doing that. That's probably a sign or evidence that that is one of your spiritual gifts. Examine yourself. See what brings you true joy and pleasure in spite of circumstances. Thirdly, submit to the affirmation or redirection concerning your gifts by the pastors and the faith family. This is why we are a faith family. Because we are to seek to hold one another accountable and we are looking and we are watching over one another. So so this is what this looks like. For some reason, every young man growing up, when they get to be about 19 or 20, they go off to youth camp for a week and they come back and they surrender to the ministry. I'm going to be a pastor. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a preacher. I'm going to be an evangelist. This is what I'm going to do. you're thinking, okay, number one, you don't know anything. And number two, we need to see if you even have the gift of preaching or teaching. This is what too often happens in the church. A new member comes in, and and for some reason we've kind of twisted things, and we think if I give them something to do, then they're going to stay. Oh, here, new member, come teach this Sunday school class. And they're there from now to an eternity. And though they are serving joyfully their Lord, there's a thousand places every Sunday that they would rather be in the church than in that class. But, but they feel an obligation. They don't want to disappoint people. No, beloved, we need to be able to examine one another. And sometimes we need to go up to those and you go, you know, I want to affirm you in that teaching gift. You have that teaching gift or you have the gift of exhortation. You are such an encouragement to me. I just want to affirm affirm you in that. And then other times, you know, we, we need to go as a faith family. We need to pull somebody alongside and go, I, I see you. I see you possibly thinking that you have the gift of teaching. And I've just got to tell you, we need to pray together about that because I I don't see that in you. Those are hard conversations to have. But it's one to have in love. And we need to submit to one another in that area. One pastor said this. He said, in, in regard to discovering spiritual gifts, he said, pretend you enter a room And there is one person in there who needs ministry. They need ministry. They are hurting. They are struggling with their faith. They are on their last rope. They need ministry. And you walk into that room. How do you desire to help them? What is your desire to help them? What is your immediate desire to help them? Is it to encourage them? Is it to come alongside them and encourage them and exhort them in the faith? Is is it to, to get on your knees with them and intercede with them right then and there in prayer? Or maybe it's to teach them something from the Word. Maybe it's to serve them in some way. Maybe it's to demonstrate compassion to them. 
Maybe it's to lead them. Maybe it's to give to them something that they need. Do you see how this works, beloved? What is your desire to do? What do you see joy in when you walk in that room and that person is sitting there and they need to be ministered to? This is most likely evidence of your spiritual gift. So we humble ourselves. We humble ourselves. We walk in and take initiative in our gifting and function. And then lastly, we do both by grace through faith. This is what Paul says when he says, Be humble, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And then goes on and says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. He's not saying that everybody in the world has this this amount of faith and then according to what they do with it. No. Paul is a faith by grace through faith guy. Everything that he does revolves around by faith through grace in the gift of Christ that he has been given. One of the questions I always ask when listening to a sermon is, how? How? And that's what I hope you've been asking as you've been listening today. You've heard me say, be humble. You've heard me say, take initiative. And maybe you've been sitting there, how? How? According to the measure of faith and according to the grace given to you. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that grace and faith that enables you to be a living sacrifice. This is beautiful because Christ and His work has come and He has removed our condemnation. He has plucked us from the depths of hell. He has paid our sin debt never to be paid again. And even in the sense of animal sacrifices which were practiced in the Scriptures, Paul says, no, no, there's no more need for that because there has been one sacrifice that has been given for all time and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And He offered Himself up as a willing sacrifice taking your unrighteousness and placing His righteousness on you so that you could then walk in Him and sit here in this place today And continue to be changed by Him. Beloved, God has put these gifts in you. And not just that. He has enabled you to use them. And to walk in them. As we walk in Christ. This is what it means. This is what it means when He says, He who has begun a good work in you is faithful and just to complete it until the day of Christ. That He's changed you and saved you for a purpose. I want you to know today, everybody's looking for the will of God. Everybody wonders, is this the will? Is this the will of God? Is this the will of God? And yet the Scriptures... In these very eight verses right here, Paul says, I want you to hear me today. This is an example of the will of God for your life. We each have a role to play. We each have a function in this faith family. 
God has providentially put each and every one of you here to function in a certain way. There is no one else like you. Steve Lawson describes this as that you are a spiritual snowflake. Each one different than the other. And if each one of you are different than the other, then you know what, beloved? I need each one of you. We need each other. So be humble. Take initiative. All by grace through faith in the one who has sought you, who has bought you, who has saved you, who has cleansed you, and who has redeemed you, and who is now molding and making you in His image for the glory of God. Would you respond to Him today? Maybe you haven't been humble in your Christian walk. Repent of that sin today by the grace of God and through faith seek to be humble in Him. Maybe you haven't been seeking to function or as a church member. Maybe you haven't just been a faithful church member and you would call and repent of that and, and be called back to that today. Or maybe you have, been, have not been seeking your spiritual giftedness. And you would be called back to that today. Whatever the case, may the Spirit of God move upon us. Let's stand together as we pray.